Please mark your books if you're going to be using those and keep in mind about the projector may or may not work during the song. So far, it's okay. But uh, number 335 will be our song of invitation at the proper time. Nancy and I were sick a week or so ago and missed a service. I was talking to Adam on the phone and told him that I'd gotten a little bit of a sermon done, or maybe I said got most of a sermon written while I was sick, at least, and uh, Danny's sick. So there you go, and he's on the spot for this evening. So we had a good uh, Bible study this morning, and actually this lesson uh, that I've prepared goes hand in hand with that in many ways. Uh, it deals with God's authority over man. Um, it's not a build you up lesson necessarily of happy go to heaven thoughts of these things or or sending people to hell uh, for their actions and sins that are left unrepented of but it's God's authority that he gave to us and uh, it's a very important topic that as Peter in his epistle wrote we have to bring things into remembrance of one another uh, at different times just to remind ourselves how we deal with God and his word and what it means to us um, the New Testament law of Christ was uh, given to mankind in the first century A.D. Uh, it's in effect since the Lord rose from the grave, as we teach, and his kingdom was established in Acts chapter 2. His law for all of humanity has been in effect since that time. The establishment of his kingdom was done, that we read about in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and following, where the, the people there in Jerusalem were told to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. And from there on, when he, before he left this earth and ascended to heaven, he told his apostles, his disciples, that he would not leave them alone. He would send them a comforter that would bring into remembrance everything he had told them, John 14. He also said that that Holy Spirit, the comforter, would guide them into all truth. So God did not leave us empty-handed. When the Lord ascended to heaven with his kingdom established, he gave us the Holy Spirit, another of the same sort or kind of him as God, that delivered the word of life to humanity. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, the Bible there says, speaking of the Old Testament versus the New for this covenant I will make with the house of Israel for those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my laws into their mind, right into their hearts. I will be to them a God, they shall, uh, to them a God, they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. The New Testament nailed the Old Testament to the cross and came into effect upon the death of the testator. John 12, 48, the Bible tells us that the word that the Lord spoke, the law that he taught when he was upon the earth that would be brought back into remembrance of all the apostles and written down later as the Holy Spirit gave utterance and breathed forth the words of the New Testament, the 27 books, they would write them down as God gave them and it would be the last law for man. 
It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27. That means our life on this earth, our time, is the only time we have to get things right. Millions of people, and we think about that and teach this often too, but millions of people willfully are ignorant of that one truth, just that one truth that God gave his word and his word is law. But it doesn't stop it from being in force to govern humanity religiously and morally. That's what the New Testament is, a religious and moral law. James 2.12, so speak ye and so do as you will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. Galatians 6.2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're commanded by God to be doers of his will, which is the gospel of Christ. Verses like James 1.25 tell us not to be forgetful hearers, but doers of his will. Jude 3, we are as Christians and Bible students to earnestly contend or engage as combatants for the faith, which is the gospel. And we are, we are commanded by God to live and operate as a church and as individual Christians under the authority of Christ and only under the authority of Christ. Please turn with me to Colossians 3.17. One of the most, I guess, important verses of Scripture. It's a very simple verse to read, but it has a great meaning behind it and with it. Very straightforward. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. What does that mean exactly, to do something in the name of Jesus? It means to do it by his authority. If we say we say, think, teach, or do something religiously or morally, it's always based on scripture, isn't it? We say, think, and do what God has said and given to us. We don't make up the rules. God has all authority in heaven and in earth. That makes him our primary authority. Matthew 7, 21 in the Sermon on the Mount, tender verses there, but also harsh verses that the Lord has to deliver to people, masses that are in fact religious people, but they didn't operate under his authority. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and have cast out devils, meaning in his name and in thy name done many wonderful works? Maybe they had. And the Lord said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You didn't follow the instructions I gave you. You did something else, something not authorized. Matthew 4, 4, the Lord himself says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That carries a pretty much weight, doesn't it, in our lives. Every word that God says is important to us because it carries the weight of law and judgment. 
God's word tells us that salvation is only found in Christ. What it means to be in Christ. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. His rules, not our own. Now there's a lot of people that complain that the Bible is just too strict for them and the religion that they're part of. There are things in the Bible they don't like and therefore they omit or just ignore. Some people say it's a guideline, but it was authored by mere men. And if it was authored by good men, let's say, then other good men have the privilege of changing that word. That's putty in their hands. Some call it a love letter from God, but it's not really a law that's going to judge us and actually send people to eternal hell and punishment. It's not really that kind of law, but just a guideline to help us along life's way. Some people hate God. They, they hate the Bible. They hate his word. They cast it out of their lives or their countries, and they live as they please, and they have that choice. Some pretend to serve God as a faithful Christian or as an actual Christian. And then at times in their lives, they do say and teach things that are not authorized. Christ is our primary authority. God revealed his word to us. Christ is our primary authority and whatever God says, that's the law. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. When the Lord, before he ascended to heaven with his disciples, his apostles that were going to take the gospel into all the world, he said to them, all power, all exousia is the Greek word, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and baptize, was his instructions. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. That means he's our primary authority. What the Holy Spirit revealed to the apostles that they wrote down, those 27 books that were confirmed to the world, Colossians 1.23, it was accomplished. It was preached in past tense to every creature by then. What the Lord had taught them, the Holy Spirit revealed to them, and they wrote down, that's our last law for mankind. There's not going to be another chance for us. Christ is in heaven, in the spiritual realm. He has all authority in heaven and earth. We dwell in earth, in the physical realm. We have the scriptures written down, translated into our language, that we can know what he said from up there in heaven. Paul affirms that in Ephesians 3, verse 3. Whereby when ye read, ye may understand, he said. We can understand what Paul had. Yes, he was an apostle and had his knowledge miraculously because there were no Bibles then. But he said, by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is what God knows and we don't. The only way we can know the mystery of what God thinks or says is if he reveals it to us. And that's what he chose to do. That's the word that he revealed to us that will stand forever. 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. That's where we base our souls, brethren. 
Please turn to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. God revealed his word to us in what we call patterns, because they are patterns. When we look at how we are supposed to do any given topic or behave, acts of worship, how we behave in society, we turn to God's word and we look for verses that deal with that topic. That's what a pattern is. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5 says, <clears throat> Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for, saith, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Moses was showed many things, how to build the ark, lay it within and without with gold, make it so long and so high, the, t the curtains of the tabernacle, exact numbers, lay them in gold. And there were many details in Exodus chapter 25 and 26 of how Moses exactly put that together according to God's instructions. In our class, we talked about Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron that offered strange fire to God in their offering to God, but they changed something. They were irreverent toward God's instructions of details. How do you get that fire and offer a, a burnt offering, and they added incense to it. Now, today's world would say, so what? I mean, they just, you know, maybe they made it better. Maybe, maybe they made it smell a little bit better. The point was they ignored God's instructions, his exact instructions, and they did something else. God punished them immediately. Fire came down and was sent to burn them up. It's the same thing with Noah and the ark. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 6, God said, make it with gopher wood. He didn't say use oak or, or maple or poplar or cedar. He said use gopher wood, period. One door, one window, so long, so high, three stories. Pitch it within and without with pitch. Do it that way because I have said, because he has the right to say as lawgiver. Only God has that authority, our primary authority. We're subject to the civil laws of our land, government, local, city, state, federal. That's our civil lives. Man deals with mankind civilly. We're talking about God's religious and moral law. Think about the church that he established and the rules that God set down for that. The plan of salvation. Before we get to that, the church, Matthew, Matthew 16, 18, the Lord said upon this rock, talking to Peter, I will build my church. It's going to be mine. It's going to have my name on it because it's mine. Why would we ever want to be part of a religious organization trying to serve God if we were trying to serve faithfully and call it something other than that? Romans 16, 16 affirms that there is more than one local church of Christ. The churches of Christ salute you, salute one another with a holy kiss. Well, there's the church in Jerusalem, Ephesus, Rome, Thyatira, Laodicea. Paul went around and established on his missionary journeys many local churches of Christ that had their own membership, treasury, operated in unity under the law, had all things in common amongst themselves, came together and worshiped on the first day of the week themselves. 
and in fact, are the one body of the saved. We talk about the one body and the universal body, the local body. The universal church is simply people who have been baptized for the right reason for the remission of sins into the right church, into the Lord's church. He says when you follow, and we're going to go through the, the steps in just a moment, but when you follow those steps, I will add you to my kingdom. That's where we are today, brethren. We are part of the one body, Ephesians 4, 4. There's one body, the Bible affirms, of the saved. Ephesians 5, 23, it says Christ is the Savior of the body. Ephesians 1, and 23 says the body is his church. The body, the church, the kingdom, one and the same. God specified the religious organization that we are to be members of as humanity in order to please him. Those are the rules. Now we look at the world and what has the world of humanity done? Thousands of different religions, aren't there? Thousands of them. All believing different things. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to say, stay saved? If anything, who do I serve? God, Buddha, Islam? Do I serve some prophet, some fake prophet? Or, or do I make up a God that I'm going to serve? God gave us his word and he expects it to be followed. We're to hear the word and believe it. That's how we come to belief, Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, a statement of fact, but it's truth. Belief, Hebrews eleven six. all that come to God must first believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seeking. We must be willing to change our lives, quit our sins and change our minds and attitudes and our future actions, repentance, a change of attitude toward God and the law that he gave us. To confess him with our mouth, yes, I believe that Christ is Lord, Romans 10 verse 9, with the mouth confession is made into salvation. To be baptized, as we stated in Acts 2.38, to be forgiven of our sins, to rise a new creature, and above all at that point, that's the beginning of the race, live a faithful life till death. Till death, we can't ever give it up or quit on God to have that home in heaven. That is a pattern, brethren, that we have found in the New Testament gospel of Christ, the verses that deal with our immediate salvation from our past sins. That's what that is. It's a pattern. No one verse contains all the elements of what must I do to be saved in the New Testament. So I can't just look at Mark 16, 16 and say, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Boom, that's it. All I have to do is believe. That's what it says. Believe and be baptized. I, I don't have to repent, change my way of living. I don't have to confess him. I don't have to be faithful till death. That's what mankind has done with God's word. Violated his patterns. But notice that we are subject to what the Bible says not what it does not say. And we talk about that often as Christians, as we should. The silence of the scriptures does not give me authority to do anything. Nothing. 
with any Bible topic, we can never have authority to act or do anything from the silence of the scriptures. If God does not authorize us to act or to not act, then we have no authority. Well, how would you uh, demonstrate that? Well, I, I run to gambling because it's a good place to run to. Is gambling a sin? Yes or no? If it's so, why? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. The Bible there says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. The law of goods and services being exchanged. Money, goods and services. We can work with our hands. We also have a verse that's Acts 18 verse 3 talking about Paul and what he was capable of doing. It depends on what we're capable of or our jobs. Because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought or worked for by their occupation they were tent makers. Paul liked to make tents for money. We can be accountants or financial people. We can run businesses. We can work to have gain and have money so that we can also give and receive out of love. The law of goods and services exchange, God spoke. That's what he said. Well, can I gamble then? Can I engage in games of chance to take someone's hard-earned money from them or lose it on the roll of a dice? Is that authorized? No. Why? God didn't say don't do it. But he said what to do. God authorized us to act in that manner, but not in the other, which makes it an unlawful addition to God's word. And that happens over and over and over in our world with many different topics. But also as Bible students, when we come to a conclusion on any given verse, if we're reading our Bible, we come to a conclusion, I believe that that verse means that. I, I believe it does. I mean, I believe that authorizes us to do that, whatever it's talking about. Be sure that your conclusion matches the rest of the New Testament. If I come to a conclusion on any given verse, and then I flip over here and read other verses dealing with that, and all of a sudden God's talking about something opposite to what I said, remember Romans 6, 3, and 4, but let God be true, but every man a liar. doesn't mean we're all liars. What it means is God doesn't make mistakes, and man does. Now let's examine the forms of expression. And, and I know this is a technical lesson, and, but I think it's, it's one that's beneficial to us to understand, you know, God gave us words. He revealed words to us in a language. That means the universal laws of language apply to it. How do we get authority from the scriptures? It's up to God. Expressions of authority. Direct commands. Thou shalt. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. A direct command is an imperative expression that God's given to us to an individual Christian or to a local church. Remember, God never gives duty of any kind to the one body of the saved. Why? Because it's made up of dead Christians, living Christians, anybody that's ever been baptized into that one body of the saved. So duty 
on earth is only given to people that are on earth, local churches of Christ, individual Christians. What should that person that's not saved do to become saved? Turn to 1 Corinthians 16. It's an easy way to express that and show it just how God gave his word. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, who? Who is ye? The church at Corinth. That's who the letter is to. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, who's the you there? Churches? No, members of the local church. Let every one of you, that's members of the church at Corinth, lay by him in store as God hath prospered and purposed in his heart. A direct command of God for all of us as members of the church here at Lakeside to lay by in store as we've been prospered. If we haven't prospered, we don't lay by in store. It's how the church funds itself, pays preachers, pays the electric bill, helps with other preaching in other areas and fund preachers in other areas, benevolent need to needy saints amongst our group. And then as we get into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we do have authority as a church to help another local church if they have members that they can't provide for, we can assist them monetarily. But we have to do it by the rules. The church at Corinth, all direct commands demand obedience. When God says to do something, you do it because that is authorized action from the primary source given to man, period. Statements of fact. God also revealed his word in statements of fact, just like John 17, 17, his prayer to the Father, he said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Statement of fact. He just made a statement that thy word is truth, speaking to the Father. That is primary authority to us from God that everything he says is truth. If it wasn't, we couldn't base our souls on it. And the religious acts that we do, worshiping God in hopefully the exact manner that he directs us. And we do, that's what we try to do. Hebrews eleven six. one of the elements of what must I do to be saved I don't want to misquote that verse. That's why I'm turning over there to it. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Statement of fact. Wasn't a direct command for me to do something. He simply stated a fact which has proven to be of itself from God truth. Something we can count on. These are expressions of authority, not in things that we must do or must not do, direct commands, just a different form, just a statement of fact. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned or damned. Statement of fact, a simple truth. And yet when you look at humanity, most people throw that verse out Matter of fact, most of the New Testament disregard it and live their lives as they please. It's also a sad lesson. Approved examples. The greatest example, I guess, as far as looking at Scripture, 1 Peter 2.21, is the example of Christ's life. We were talking about this in class, what it means to be godly, 
Can we be actually God-like? Well, none of us can ever be like God, but it has to do with a will inside of us, a reverence toward authority, his power, his love, the sacrifice, and to live our lives according to what he said. We are God-like in that we want to live our lives pleasing to him and only him. That's a hard thing to do in today's world. It's a hard thing to do in the first century as well. Approved examples are God-given. There are instances where God is telling us about, for example, Acts 18.3. Paul dwelt with those that are tent makers. Statement of fact. But an approved example is an example given to us by God, not someone else, in Scripture, in the New Testament, of an instant of action or something that happened that is approving manner. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. What was he telling them? Do what I do, follow my example, because I'm getting my instruction and answers solely from the word of God, what he's given me. In other words, base your souls on it because you can trust me, he was telling them. Now, he was an apostle. He had, he had uh, miraculous knowledge, miraculous faith, that, you know, the gifts that were given to the apostles to confirm the word. What we have is God's final word given to mankind. We have it in our own language. We have everything that God gave them. We can understand it because Paul says we can. But Second Peter also says there are verses that are hard to understand. We may never understand everything about the scriptures. But there's a lot of things that are the milk of the word. What church should I be a member of? Does the Bible say that? How am I supposed to be saved? How am I supposed to live on a daily basis? How do I treat people? We have many thousands of verses that are easy to understand that humanity disregards as well. Approved examples are things and instances of action that are given in agreement with our primary source, the New Testament law of Christ. They're recorded cases of divine authority. He's in heaven, reigning in his kingdom. We're here, we have his word. And yet he governs us from the spiritual to the physical realm. It doesn't matter with Christ because he's, he's Lord and king of all. Necessary inferences, necessary conclusions. Scripture can authorize or condemn certain actions by the evidence of a necessary conclusion or inference. That's the key word. It has to be necessary. There are examples of Bible authority indirectly expressed from God to man in the text of a command or a statement of fact or an approved example. Well, then you say, well, what do we mean by that? Hang on. <laughs> well, since you asked, which you didn't, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. Exodus 20 and verse 8. <clears throat> in, the, in the Old Testament, 
when God gave Moses the law and he was telling them, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a good way to illustrate this. What Sabbath day were they to keep holy? Well, how many Sabbath days were there? You would ask. Well, under their calendar, they had a, a seven-day week, as we do, a 24-hour day, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So the necessary conclusion is every time the Sabbath day rolled around, they had to keep that holy because the direct command was, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, which one, Lord? Every one of them. If you want to faithfully follow that pattern, every one of them. Same thing with the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week in the New Testament. Acts 20 and verse 7 authorizes us to come together as a local church on the first day of the week and serve the Lord's Supper. But it doesn't, that verse by itself does not limit us to the first day of the week. What limits us to the first day of the week is another verse that's in the pattern, Matthew 26, 26. When the Lord's telling his disciples there, the Last Supper, that the day, the definite article is there. The Lord tells his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them. Actually, it's verse 29. Sorry about that. But I say unto you, he says, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day... And the definite article is there in the Greek, the day when I drink it new with you in my kingdom. Acts 20 and 7 identifies the church at Troas came together on the first day of the week. Matthew 26, 29 says it's a specific day. Therefore, it limits us to that day only. That's why we don't serve the Lord's Supper on Saturday or Wednesday. We can't. We don't have authority. But that's why we also serve the Lord's Supper each and every first day of the week. Because the only way to follow that command is to serve the Lord's Supper every time the church gathers on the first day of the week. Period. That's it. It's over. There's no more discussion to that rule from God. Now, if you look at various religions, they may serve the Lord's Supper, I don't know, twice a year. Easter, Christmas, Christmas Day. I don't know how often the various religions of our world serve what they would call the Lord's Supper. Those that hold to the Bible and claim to serve the God that we serve, the God of the Bible. I don't know how often they serve the Lord's Supper. I've heard stories that it's only a couple or three or four times a year. But that means that they are not giving reverence to the authority of the scripture and what God said to do to remember his death. All these four expressions of Bible authority are also, and it's kind of getting down into the technical part, and I'm sorry about that. It's just one of these lessons we need to go over from time to time to remind ourselves. They're either given in specific or generic form. When God tells us to do some action, sometimes he specifies things we are to do within that action, Things that we have to accept that God gave it that way and we can't tamper with it. They're either 
a statement of fact, a command, an approved example. They're details. Details like we were talking about in class of Nadab and Abihu, how to offer that fire, that sacrifice. Cain and Abel, how to offer their sacrifices before God and be pleasing. Cain decided to change it, didn't he? How do we know that? How do we know that he decided, well, we know that God was displeased with his sacrifice. He was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. That means both men knew the rules and one violated them. Now, he may have had good intentions. I don't know. I doubt it because he murdered his brother over that issue. But God expresses to man on any given topic details, certain details that we are to follow. Sometimes, and, we, and the example I have is our singing. Just for an example, something we can look at quickly is our singing together. Ephesians 5.19, when we talk about singing in the assembly of the church, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. These are our authority on the details of how do we sing. Let's read those real quick because they're, since they're short, I'll go to Ephesians first, Ephesians 5.19. That says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What is specific about that? What is specific that God gave us that we cannot change? Well, the first thing is when he says teaching and admonishing one another, the only way that that can be accomplished is if all members present sing. We can't benefit ourselves or someone else if we don't sing. Secondly, we all by necessity have to sing the same song. If we were all singing 50 different songs at one time, how much teaching and admonishing one another could we do or engage in? I mean, it would just be a, an unaudible sound or noise. What kind of songs are we to sing together? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Paraphrase, verbatim, scripture, verses about God, about heaven, about hell, salvation, being lost. Things that God has given us that we sing about, that we teach one another when we sing. We sing to God and give him the glory and honor and praise from our obedience and devotion to him. It's vocal singing, isn't it? Sing. That's why we cannot have instrumental music in our worship. It's very simple. God said, sing and make the melody where? On a, on a piano? No, in your hearts to the Lord. Very specific. So it's reciprocal. We teach one another as we sing. We sing the correct songs. We don't sing rock and roll. We don't sing country. We might like to listen to that on our own time. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, although a lot of the songs these days, the words, the lyrics, if you can even hear them, 
Uh, a lot of them say atrocious things, but that's beside the point. But the melody of, of, of rock and roll music, okay, it's fine, but not for in the worship service when we're together. What about when we're alone at home? Can we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and not violate God's word? Yes. Well, how do we know that? James 5.13. The book of James 5.13 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. That would by necessity include psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Part of the pattern for the individual at home, if they're happy and they want to give praise to God and they're feeling good about what they're doing and serving God, you're not teaching or admonishing someone else, but you're teaching yourself, you're admonishing yourself. God says, do it if you want to. And the pattern was followed. Generic authority. When God specifies action to the Christian or to the local church, sometimes it's in a generic form. Some things are necessary or inherent details about God giving us specified action in a command, a statement of fact, proved examples. He wants action, either the local church or the Christian. But there's some details he didn't give us. We are to choose those details if it is necessary to complete the action he commanded us to do. When Noah built the ark, God specified many things. But what's something generic that God did not specify to Noah that he generically was authorized by God to make a choice and do? What kind of tools did Noah use? We're not told what kind of tools he used to build that ark. He couldn't do it with his bare hands. The only way to fulfill God's command was to grab a tool, whatever it was he had accessible to him, and start building that ark. But it was necessary for him to make that choice. Look at our singing again. What are generic things about our singing in those three verses that are generically authorized by God because the command came from him the pattern came from the New Testament, but he didn't specify. How many songs do we sing in each service? Do we not have to make a decision on that? Just a simple thing, but how many are we going to have two songs, a lesson, then, then the Lord's Supper and a closing, closing song? Yes, that's fine. Why is that fine? Because God didn't specify, but he commanded us and gave us a pattern on how we are to sing in the assembly. How many verses of each song do we sing if there's multiple? We choose, don't we? Sometimes we sing them all. Sometimes if it's a long song, we'll cut it to two. If it's a closing song, I like to sing two verses. My voice sometimes wears out. So we make a decision of our own in complying with specific authority. When do we sing those songs in the assembly? Isn't that our choice? To fulfill, we have to follow the pattern, but we get to choose how many songs we sing. What parts do I sing? Well, what can my voice do? You know, my voice is, I don't know, it's all over the place sometimes, but, but I sing as best I can, and I look at the notes, and we have melody, we use songbooks. Is that an unlawful addition to our assembly and a violation of Scripture? No. Why? 
Does anybody know all the words to all the songs that we sing? Does anybody know the melody, the ups and downs, the melody we make in our hearts to all the songs that we sing without some assistance, without a songbook or looking above and saying, okay, well, I can sing that as best I can because I see the words, I see what I'm supposed to do. I may not do it perfectly, but God doesn't demand perfection. He just demands obedience to the specified things that he gave us. And if we have to make a choice as a local church on how many songs, when do we sing, how many verses, God left that to us in his wisdom. But it's authorized action, brethren. I'm sorry I've gone long. I apologize. I just saw that. God revealed his word to mankind. He, he revealed it. Man wrote it down exactly as God breathed it forth and our careful handling of that word is paramount to our serving him faithfully. When we look about our world and we see all the various religions and all the things that they do in the name of religion or the name of Christ, they think that many things are not found in scripture. We can simply say they're not authorized. Why would you do that? And therefore our understanding of authority and how we get it from scriptures is paramount to ourselves as Christians as well. We handle God's word carefully. We try not to change God's law when he's specific. We don't omit things. We don't change things and leave them out. We don't pervert things as many churches have done throughout our world. And we pay attention to the pattern, the authority he gave us and act accordingly. In the lesson, we gave the steps to become a Christian. So if it's your need to respond to the Lord's call in any way, please come now while together we stand and as we sing.